0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it
1: PG-13. Sign up with MyBookie and use our promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie get the manscape performance package at manscape.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping when you use code gators 20 want more gators breakdown join gators breakdown plus starting at three dollars a month because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter, at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Joining me here on this Monday night edition is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on his site, readandreaction.com, on YouTube at ReadReaction, and his Twitter handle, at Will Miles SEC. Will you? I mean, I think you slept the whole bye week, is what you tell me. I think you just slept, 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 through it all.
0: I just didn't stay up late writing. I had all these plans to write stuff, and then, you know, when it came time to write, I was like, mm, Nah, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go to sleep. But you know, I I thought about going wakeboarding. It. I thought about going wakeboarding and tweeting video of me doing it, but I figured that might be a little bit overboard. So uh, plus, it's getting cold up here. So uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was nice to nice to have a little bit of time off. I did get to sort of. Uh, passive-aggressively watch Garrett Nussmeyer play quarterback for LSU, so that was kind of fun there in the in the fourth quarter of that one. Um, you know, I feel kind of bad for the kid because he's never done anything to me, but his dad has d- definitely done things to all of us. And so uh, it was kind of fun to see, you know, it was like fourth and twenty six. Be like, oh, I wonder if they'll run play action here.
1: Uh, yeah, speaking of that game, old Miss LSU, you know, that was kind of the result we thought we might get with Florida LSU. Uh, but no, 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 you know. LSU reverts back to the team they were before Florida. Imagine that the week after That's Florida. I mean,
0: turns out when you can stop a counter, all of a sudden the uh, <laughs> the run game for LSU goes away. It's uh, you know a um, um, a miracle of film study.
1: Yeah, it makes it even more maddening. I said it on Twitter Spaces chat this morning. I was like, man, you know, you don't want to use the transitive property too much. It can it can really get you in trouble. But you have to put it together here. I mean, what LSU was not doing before Florida. What, they didn't do the week after Florida? I mean, oh, man. I mean, come
0: on. Yeah, I mean, you know, the difference is Florida actually did have LSU kind of on the ropes there in the first quarter yeah. before, before LSU figured out what they could do in the running game. Um, there was a ball that Jeremiah Moon missed that could have been an interception. And then um, – you know, and and without having a guy who could really put his foot on their throat, Florida struggled, and 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 Ole Miss has that guy, right? Matt Corral is quite capable of making sure you're down 21 to nothing before you know what hits you, and then you're playing catch up. And LSU isn't built like that, and so mm. um, you know they're not a very good running team, but they're not really that great a throwing team either. It's sort of a putrid offense overall, and so you get them down by a couple of touchdowns, and they're going to really struggle. Florida could never do that, right? They got up six nothing, missed the extra point, and then. Um, You know, LSU was able to pull ahead, what, 21-6. to And at that point, Florida was playing catch-up, which is exactly where LSU wanted them. So um, different games, different guys behind center. And I think, you know, the the reality is if Florida had a guy like Matt Corral behind center the entire game against LSU, then they probably win that one. But, uh, you know, like I said last week, we learned a lot. It, It stinks to learn when you're losing. Um, but we learned a lot in that game and hopefully mullen and his staff learned a lot in that game as well and we'll see some of those changes against the bulldogs yeah we'll get into it you
1: mentioning uh you mentioned a quarterback playing the whole game will we finally get that here a switch at quarterback maybe dan mullen non-committable statements here when he talks quarterbacks uh for the second week in a row now last week it was the sec teleconference this week his normal Monday press conference ahead of a game, so we'll get into that. Mullen's comments on the quarterbacks, uh, not necessarily saying who will start between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, um, but, you know, did say both will play. I guess we'll keep him at his word on that, but we'll get into all those comments uh, right there and also uh, just opening up the offense a little bit too. I threw some stats out there on Twitter, Will, and I will get into through those stats out there last week of as how, how much this offense opens up with Anthony Richardson. And also we'll get into Will's latest at readingreaction.com, Um and analytics and maybe not telling the complete story uh, with these Gators. It is in some way, some way it's not, at least with the 4-3 record, it's not, Will. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Good work there. I know a lot of people have been reading it and sharing it uh, all over uh, the Gators Breakdown Plus board, uh, the Discord server, and I know out there on Twitter as well. So good work there, and we'll get into that one.
0: No, it should be so, fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. Plenty to get into. We'll start there with Mullen's presser here on Monday. Still not naming a starting quarterback, Will, and the plan is to play both quarterbacks like last week. The message is the same. Quote from Dan Mullen, we're going to keep playing them the same way. Mullen said, we plan on playing both of the guys like we have now, look, uh, of course, well, I think you, could, you can look at this. You know, so sometimes what we do here on Gators break, we, we give uh, the look both from both sides. Uh, so Some of this could be, of course, to make sure both quarterbacks are ready to go just in case of an injury. Uh, been told the reps are 50-50 um, more so than they have been, where they are getting more right now than he was earlier in the season. Quote from Dan Muller here to even even more on Monday, you've got to get both guys ready to go play. We both get guys a lot. We, we get both guys a lot of reps. Maybe it's probably a little bit more even than a lot of other places where, like, the starter gets a lot of reps and the backup gets minimal reps. The quarterbacks, we try to keep them even so they're both ready to play. You're a snap away from getting those guys on the field. So you kind of do that with a lot of positions across the board. You roll them through to get the reps to get them ready to play. Now, it was asked, Will, what if one quarterback shows the hot hand? One more quote from Dan Mullen here. It certainly fell into that last week. He said, every game is so unique in how it plays out, you know, so we'll have to see how the game plays itself out. So some more talk from Dan Mullen and quarterbacks, not necessarily naming a starter, extending what he said last week. And I, 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 I know many would have loved for, for Mullen to come out and name Richardson the starter. I would have loved it too, uh, but it's not going to happen the week of the game. Now, I, I don't think it makes any difference at all if you win or lose this game versus Georgia. But you know, in announcing a, a starting quarterback, it doesn't matter. M- Mullin can name Jones or Richardson the starting quarterback. That's not you know doesn't mean or or, or not mean or or not announce it. It doesn't mean Florida's going to win or lose versus Georgia. You got to go out there and play the game. But all these coaches look for any advantage they can take of and try and take advantage of it. So uh, I I don't I don't blame Mullen. The team may know uh, and won't say anything. We didn't get either quarterback for today's media session. So you know, for, for me, eh, not naming a starter. You know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, the plan to still play both quarterbacks is out there. That probably irks many <laughs> uh, more so than anything out there. But even, even that's part of the off field strategy for Mullen. If AR is going to start and play the whole game, you're definitely not going to let that out. Because I said, uh, that type of holding back, that's not going to determine if Florida wins or loses the game. It's going to be because uh, the quarterback quarterback went out there, performed well, played well, took advantage uh, of his opportunity. Now, you know, not because of what Mullen says or, or does or says in a press conference. Now, I know the PR would have been great for for at least from the fan base side of things if Mullen comes out and says, yeah, you know, we're going we're to roll with Anthony this week. But uh, you can't really expect that right here.
0: No, I mean, the fact that they still have Todd Grantham as defensive coordinator is proof that um, they don't make changes for PR's sake because if they were <laughs> going to make changes for PR's sake, they would have left him on the tarmac with Ed Orger on there when they left Baton Rouge. Hey, um, no,
1: no, I mean, coaches, coaches shouldn't make decisions based on PR. I'm just saying it, w- it would have been a great PR move, but just just because
0: it would have happened, not necessarily you make it because of PR. Sure. And we're also talking about a coach who like keeps his spring practices very vanilla, who even when they're open, who keeps his fall practices closed as best he can. So this is this has always been sort of a strategy. And, you know, granted, if you're choosing between Emory Jones and Kyle Trask, it probably makes more of a difference for Georgia in terms of who they're preparing for, as opposed to Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones, where they're going to prepare relatively similarly um, though obviously the quarterbacks do things a little bit differently because the results have been very, very different. Um, I think it's obvious to anybody who's watched all season long. It's obvious to anybody who watched the LSU game who the starter should be. I suspect it's also obvious to the players. That's really the danger here is that if you go out there and try to play guys, you know, half and half in this game, you know, that's going to be difficult. Just because I think the players understand. Understand that you can't go out and preach that the best players play, and then not have the best players play, and and that. That can look negatively upon upon the coaching staff and that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I expect to see Anthony Richardson. I expect to see him a lot. And to be honest, Florida's got one shot, and that's to have elite quarterback play in this one when it comes to beating Georgia. It's going to take every single drive. You got to maximize every single drive, which is why you can't screw around. You can't sit there and figure mm-hmm. out who do I who has the hot hand or anything like that. You got to go look, I'm either going to let my young guy work his way through it or I'm going to have the veteran in there. And if you try to have half measures, it's not going to work because Georgia. you start looking at the Georgia stats and you go, all right, this is going to take a complete game from Florida to win. And Florida hasn't played a complete game all year. And so hopefully they can put it together against the Bulldogs for a full 60 minutes. But they haven't done it against Vanderbilt. They haven't done it against Kentucky. Haven't done it against Alabama. Haven't done it against LSU. The idea that they'll be able to do it against Georgia – with Emory Jones at quarterback for a significant amount of time, I think is probably relatively foolhardy. Yeah, Anthony Richardson might make some mistakes at the same time. He's going to make some big plays and those big plays give you a shot because, you know, Georgia, both on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball, has been very, very good this year. But they haven't played an offense that even statistically is as dynamic as Florida is with as much as Emory Jones has played. Um, If you can even soup it up a little bit more with Anthony Richardson, then it's something that can at least be a true challenge for the Bulldogs on defense because they aren't giving up anything yet thus far.
1: Yeah, certainly that's, I mean, that's that's one reason we won't Anthony Richardson because you know we think he makes that difference there in a game. You're gonna need that difference oh on, on offense. And Mullen did say, you know, this is now this is really playing coy. And then look at it, just going in with the press conference of you know, we haven't the uh, we haven't game planned the first play of the game yet. So that's why we don't really know who the starter is. Really? I mean that doesn't doesn't really matter what the play call is, of of who's going to be the the quarterback there. So look, I know you know the the fan base was getting a little frustrated listening to Dan Mullen's press conference uh, live there. You can watch it on YouTube uh, while we're sitting there peppering him with questions a little bit. But uh, you know, well, that is that that is part of it. You know, he's he's not going to reveal a game plan. He's not going to cater to what the fan base wants, especially you know this week going against the best defense in the country, the best team in the country. Um, if anybody expected him to come out and name the starter, I, I I don't know what to tell you, especially given Mullen's history. He's just not going to, and I know it upsets some people. And we, and like I said, it would have been a great PR move, not for the sake of PR, but just, okay. You know, I've seen enough. And I think that's where a lot of people come from. Well, they've, they've seen enough to where they, they would themselves, if they were in Dan Mullen's shoes, name Anthony Richardson, the, the starting quarterback uh, right now. But given just the timeline of where it's at. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't really benefit Florida. It doesn't hurt Florida uh, to not do it. But uh, I, I'm sure the team knows. I'm sure the team can glean through practice last week and this week. Uh, right now, you know, this guy had a practice about an hour, hour and a half ago. I mean, I'm sure uh, I'm sure they can They can tell whether the reps would be split even more. Uh, you can expect a whole lot of both quarterbacks, or maybe you do finally get Anthony Richardson a bit more after him playing those, uh, you know, their the, the stretch of snaps in the second half.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is who Dan Mullen is. He has never been one to, to try to score PR points, at least not ever since sort of the first year when he was talking about thumb wrestling. I think that did win some PR points. But, you know, last year, obviously, he, he even has acknowledged that some of the things that he did um, behind the microphone and then even on the field sort of blew up in his face. And I think he's just basically sort of decided, I don't care anymore. I'm going to criticize no matter what I do. So I may mm-hmm. as well just do what I want to do. And, and that's sort of what we're seeing at this point. The reality is, is that if you beat Joe, Georgia, no one's going to question whether you were surly during a press conference. In fact, (laughs) they'll probably call you colorful for being surly in a press conference. And if you're surly during a press conference and you get beat like a drum by Georgia, well, then it, it won't be seen as colorful it'll be seen as surly and ordinary and and unbecoming of the Florida head coach and that's the reality right you dig your grave based on how you act in these things without sort of garnering the fan base's support garnering the booster support garnering things doing things that make it easy for your athletic director to defend you and to keep you in a position where your seat doesn't get hot um, but let's be honest I don't care whether dan mullen is the nicest person in the world i don't care whether dan (laughs) mullen tells me what's going on in the middle of the week all it would be nice it makes our job easier if he tells us that sort of stuff but at the end of the day all i care about is whether he beats georgia and i even said this before the lsu game said if you made me choose which one do you want me do you want florida to get i'd say i'd sacrifice the lsu game if it lets us have the georgia game and He sacrificed the LSU game. So let's see whether that can uh, let's see whether he can get the the Georgia game because two and eight against the main rivals and four and four for the year. And uh, you know if it's a convincing win for Georgia, it's not a good look in in year four, regardless of of what I wrote today. It's uh, you know the reality is is that's not good enough at Florida. Dan Mullen knows it, the fans know it, and he's going to hear about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Dan Mullen did say today, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter who starts. Will It's who is who finishes the games. So uh, you know, that's what uh, uh, what we can take. You know, from Dan Mullen a little bit there. Of course, you know, uh, you and I were kind of joking before uh, before we started rolling here. Is you know what uh, does that mean? Emory for one snap and AR the rest. Uh, you went the other way with it, and maybe AR the first snap and Emory the rest just to just to send messages and look we're joking here we're just having a little bit of fun I don't um, know Ben
0: but... did, didn't Muschamp do that with Brissett and Driscoll in like 2012 Yeah, like yeah. Brissett yeah. came out took one snap and then he brought in Driscoll We it, didn't see Brissette well the weren't they on the, the field year. at the same
1: time one was that like quarterback and one was receiver or you might have been right one took one snap and then one took the very
0: next snap or no snap what, was it was time. it Treon was it Treon and, and Greer I can't remember Yeah, but, yeah. They uh, they I know it's happened before where they were playing coy about who the starter was and the guy came out and took one yeah. snap and then the other guy came in and, and basically played from then on out I, I, I hope that's not what happens but hey if, if Mullen sticks it to me and uh and emory gets that first snap but then ar comes in and lights up Georgia the rest of the way i'll be perfectly happy to be honest look i I think emory jones will do a decent job if they give him the entire game against Georgia. i do i think he'll do a decent job i don't think decent is anywhere near enough to beat this georgia team and that's the problem is that you know florida might put up 21 or 24 points but you're going to lose by 20 if you do that and so you
1: know, you're gonna know have if I agree to. With you there. I don't. I don't. I don't see that.
0: <laughs> look, I, I, I think one of the things is, is that the reason that that Anthony Richardson is getting so much attention is because of how explosive he is, and because of the really superstar type numbers that he's put up when he's gotten real opportunities to play. Yep. And we all know that Mullen needs a superstar to sort of offset some of the talent deficits he's got with some of the big boys. We know that's a requirement. And Emery Jones, thus far in the seven games this year, has not shown an ability to be that kind of difference maker. I do actually think he's been a relatively decent game manager, minus the interceptions. The interceptions have been killers, right? I mean, the interceptions are terrible. You can't have those. But at the same time, it's a learning curve. And I do think at some point, he would probably be able to figure out how to eliminate some of those mistakes with more and more playing time. Again, not going to work against georgia <laughs> at yeah. the end of the day and that's where we've i'm seen- at yeah.
1: like the rest of the season after georgia you know you could be that game manager and probably win out the rest of the way yeah not saturday
0: <laughs> well we shall see my friend we yeah. shall see if they give him 50 percent of the snaps you're you're either not going to want to or you're going to want to be paying very close attention to my twitter timeline that's all i could say because <laughs> uh it, it's clear who needs to be the starter at this point, and you know that again. I don't think that's denigrating Emory Jones. I actually it's do not. think he's played decently. The problem is you got a superstar sitting over there who's only got thirty-seven throws all all season long, and we need to have that be hundred and thirty-seven by the time the season ends.
1: Yep, yep. All right, so we'll get into the explosiveness of AR a little bit. We uh, got to ask Mullen about Anthony Richardson and uh, him moving forward. We did get to dive into Anthony Richardson just a bit more. Uh, with Dan Mullen today uh, ahead of uh, Florida, Georgia uh, this weekend. But before we get there, what is a lock? A lock is simply put, a bet you cannot lose. And with my bookie, you can't lose with the NBA lock of the season. When you bet on either team to score between the Dallas Mavericks or the Denver Nuggets this Friday, you win. An NBA game is never going to so you know this is a sure bet. Place your bet, they score, you win, it's that easy. Get paid Friday, wake up Saturday, and throw down on UFC 267. This weekend, MyBookie is also given all users a $100 wisp-free rager on the light heavyweight championship fight between Jan Bulovich and Glover Teixeira. So don't wait. Head to MyBookie.ag now and use promo code Gators and get in on that NBA lock of the season. That's promo code GATERS. It's a lock. Get your season started with a win, and you can thank me later. College football, the NFL, the World Series, NBA, NHL, you can bet on it all at my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. In this football season, you know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsors for today's show. Manscaped Blitzing Through Hairs has never been easier. And it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code gatorsbreak 20 at manscaped.com. 20% off plus free shipping. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package and a key for a great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are smooth like Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. First off, the new Performance Package 4.0 includes the new lawnmower 4.0. The fourth generation waterproof trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Performance Package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker. This nose and ear trimmer is the best I have ever tried. Pretty much the only one that actually works. After trimming your football, show them some love with the Manscaped Liquid Formulations. The Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner are here to take your ball game to the next level. Manscaped even throws in two free gifts for their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers, and the Shared Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Gators 20 At Manscaped.com, that's 20% off plus free shipping with the code GatorsBreak20 at Manscaped.com. Will, Anthony Richardson talk. (laughs) More, more, more. Anthony Richardson, here we go. I asked Mullen about the downfield passing being more part of the offense with Anthony Richardson than compared to Emory Jones' And if it was more about uh, what opposing defenses are scheming up or is it just more of an aggression from Richardson quote from Dan Mullen here, I think probably more defenses load up the line of scrimmage when he's in there, blitz a little bit more when he's in there. Mullen said it's kind of the different looks that they play you in. Well, the last time we saw Richardson Mullen offered up this assessment, assessment of the quarterback's play, I thought he did a couple things. He got into the flow of the game, managed the game, made some good decisions, missed a couple of reads here and there. We have to continue to improve on. But it was great, especially being on the road in that environment, to be able to get into it and be able to handle everything with the crowd noise, with the pressure, all the things that came with it. I think he handled the situation pretty well. So, well with the, the, the pressure of playing from behind on the road, bringing Florida back, making a game of it versus LSU, we still aren't getting our answer. If we'll see more from Richardson, from Dan Mullen, for whatever reason, you know, look, there, there's no doubt we should see him more as the offense just opens up with Anthony Richardson. Here we go. Mission those stats uh, I put up here. If you're watching on YouTube, you get the graphic version here. You can look at these graphics uh, easier comparison here. But will, I mean, this is just. At the basic of it right now, explosive pass percentage, Jones, 8% of his throws are explosive, 21.6 of Anthony Richardson's throws are explosive, yards per attempt, 7.4 for Emory Jones, 10.6 for Anthony Richardson, yards per completion, Emory Jones, 11 yards per completion, Anthony Richardson, 18.7 yards per completion, passing touchdown percentage, 5.7% 5.7% of Emory Jones throws goes for touchdowns. 13.5% for Anthony Richardson. That is first among SEC quarterbacks with a minimum of 30 attempts. Explosive, explosive, explosive. Gets number one wide receiver back involved. Jacob Copeland stats, as I said, opening up the offense right here. Well, there it is. Jacob Copeland's numbers there. I mean, it's, it's, it, 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 it the, the difference that we see here between these two quarterbacks and opening up this offense helps the number one receiver Jones to Copeland 16 of 25, 211 yards and a touchdown 8.4 yards per attempt for Jacob Copeland from Emory Jones, 13.2 yards per completion. And the reason I added this 7.1 yard average, average yard to gain, just to kind of compare, you don't, Want to have third and thirteen for 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 uh, Anthony Richardson or whatever, and that kind of forces uh, Anthony Richardson to throw deeper. Not pretty comparable here as far as yards to gain uh, when throwing to these uh, when throwing to Jacob Copeland, but Anthony Richardson to Jacob Copeland seven and nine, two hundred and twelve yards, three touchdowns. So go back, compare that to Emory Jones. Jones to Copeland sixteen to twenty five, two hundred eleven yards. Richardson to Copeland, seven and nine, 212 yards. So many less completions and one more yard and two more touchdowns there for Anthony Richardson to Jacob Copeland, 23.6 yards per attempt, 30.3 yards per completion from Anthony Richardson to Jacob Copeland. All that with 7.6 average yard to gain. Will the numbers say it? The numbers show it. It is more explosive with Anthony Richardson. Gets more of the offense involved. I mean, look, we saw it with our own eyes. We see it with our own eyes week in and week out when he plays. But it's just getting everybody more involved, opening up the offense, opening up the offense down the field.
0: Yeah. So I think there's two things there. One is that Richardson just takes more shots downfield. So he's got yeah. 37 total throws this year. And 12 of them have been 20 plus yards down the field. He's completed five of them, but that also means that he's completed three touchdowns. Now, two of his interceptions have come on 20 plus yard attempts as well. And so that is some, there is some risk reward in that particular area. But, you know, if you think about 12 out of 37, you're talking what almost a third of his throws are going 20 plus yards down the field. Some of that is, um, you know design some of that is is blitz and those sorts of things but some of it is he's willing to let it go and willing to potentially throw an interception when he does that um but willing to get the benefits well if you look at emory jones he's got you know what 176 attempts and he's got 14 throws 20 plus yards downfield and so just the willingness of these guys to go downfield yeah beyond just the fact that Richardson's completing them the fact that he is willing to go downfield is going to open things up underneath in some capacity just because you know the defense is going to have to respect the entire field the the spread offense is designed to make the the defense cover the entire field like that is the intent that's why it's called the spread is because it used to be that you basically everything inside of the hashes or inside of the numbers was where you had to guard and and the defense was trying to stretch you vertically or the offense was trying to stretch you vertically and then the spread came along and one of the tenants of the spread was get guys open in space and that meant you went side to side an awful lot um in those particular offenses it's why the running quarterbacks work so well in those offenses and those sorts of things but what happens is is that you you still want to make the defense cover the entire field. And that's what Richardson does by going deep. And the thing that I think is most encouraging about Richardson's time against LSU is all of a sudden he started to fill in some of those intermediate throws. So the mm-hmm. 0 to 10 yards were were places where we're basically empty and 11 through 20 were basically empty those those downfield. Now he didn't complete any of the ones in the eleven through twenty range, but he completed a bunch in the zero to ten range against LSU. He was able to make a bunch of very nice throws in those in those ranges, make the right reads, find the right guys who were open, those sorts of things on some of the shorter throws, which is something that you would expect him to struggle with um, based on what he had already done throughout the year, which was basically screens behind the line of scrimmage, and then uh, and then deep throws. Against issue he showed a little bit of the inter- intermediate space, and I think that's important. The other thing is, that, so I've got something coming up this week from Bud Davis. You can check him out over on Twitter at jbudDavis. He's a he's a statistical wizard, um, way more than I am. But he sort of broke down Georgia's defense in terms of a heat map, and he posted it mm-hmm. up on Twitter as a preview today. And the places where you can get Georgia are deep, deep left, deep right. And then mm-hmm. on the left-hand side of the defense, basically between 10 and 20 yards. And if you think about which one of Florida's quarterbacks is going to be able to exploit that the best, it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, it's going to be Anthony Richardson as the guy who's going to be able to do that. And the other thing that you didn't mention at all in any of the explosive plays is that he's also got a boatload of running explosive plays and that those explosive, you know, so he's 30% of the entire offense's explosive plays. So I think you had him at like 21% of his throws are explosive, but Mm -hmm. a large portion of his running plays are explosive as well. I think he's still the second leading rusher on the team. So (laughs) even though he's only got like what, 17 or 18 carries. Um, So, you know, you have that added component as well. It's just, you know, it's it's not just that it feels like the offense moves better with Anthony Richardson, it's that it does. He he delivers an explosive play about every five plays when you look at the number of explosives that he has versus the number of touches that he's got. Emory Jones is every twelve or thirteen plays. And twelve or thir- an explosive every twelve or thirteen plays isn't bad, but an explosive every five plays means all you got to do is get one first down. And that's kind of been the way it's been is if Florida can sort of get Richardson into a rhythm, can get one first down. You saw it last week with, or two weeks ago with the penalty, right? On the second down throw out to Shorter. they get that penalty. And all of a sudden, bam, 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 the explosives were coming in a few of the games before that. They had some penalties that prevented them from doing that. They had an illegal motion, um, against Vanderbilt when he ran for a first down, and so that drive stalled. A um, couple other couple other times where things stalled, either because of holding penalties or, or some other things where Richardson was in there. Really couldn't kind of get him into the rhythm, didn't get an explosive play right off the bat. I think if you can get a couple of first downs with him, you're going to see those explosives, and they're going to come just as regularly because, you know, let's be honest, the explosive against LSU came just as regularly as they did against USF and FAU.
1: Well, and then, you know, something you and I – had discussed i think uh on twitter dm or something we were going back and forth and i don't know if you ever put a number to it but you and i have both noticed the number of like 10 11 play drives florida had to go through <laughs> you know when you know, so far this season look they, they've had some success doing that uh, at, at points this year but when you have to ask your offense to sit there and go 10 11 play 75 yards i mean once teams have kind of caught on the floor and what they were able to do in the run game, and, and that's, where, that's where 10 11 play drives come from, is where you, you're running the ball, you're not hitting home runs, but you're hitting, as I said, a lot of those doubles or triples. You know, it's going to give you those 10 11 play drives. That changes a little bit with Anthony Richardson and it reduces your chances for mistakes.
0: Yeah, so this was something that hit the cutting room floor for the article that I released today. But Florida Florida has 33 touchdowns this year. The average number of yards for each of those touchdown drives is 71.4 yards. So they've had to go basically the entire field. The shortest touchdown drive they have is 30 yards, and that's the only drive that they have that's less than half the field. They have one that was 49 Right. But other than that, everything, they have 11 drives that are 75 yards or less. And then if you add in the 80 and the 90 and the 95 yards, you've got 22 of their 33 drives or 75 plus yards. The median of all of their touchdown drives is 75. So if you just look at the, you know, you start on either end and you start counting. So basically, they get a touchback and they drive down the field. So this actually points to one of the areas where. Um, the defense isn't helping at all. There's yeah, no turnovers. They're not less. helping yep. them get there. The special teams aren't helping them at all. There's no kick returns, no punt returns to give them good field position. They're yep. not putting pressure on the punter to make the punter sort of flub one or, or um, you know, get a twenty yard punt. When's the last time we saw other than the block? Against yeah. against LSU to open the game. When's the last time they really impacted the punter? Um, so those are the things I think that need to improve. Really, when you look at this, is that when you're asking the offense to have to go 75 yards? And to your point, I didn't actually do the calculation of number of number of plays, but when you're asking the the offense to do that, and you know, like you said, 11 for 75, 10 for 80, 15 for 88, four for 63, and then Anthony Richards comes in, it's one for 75, <laughs> one for 80. That I tell you what, that is the difference in the offense, right? Is, that it Anthony, is. when Anthony Richardson's in there, you have the possibility of a three-play drive. I think there's only one I can remember all year long. It was. Um, against Vanderbilt, there was a three-play drive that Emory Jones hit Jacob Copeland twice on, and mm-hmm. and scored a touchdown, sort of put that game away. Um, that's really the only one I can remember that was just rapid, bam, 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 right down the field, and Florida was able to was able to score. So, you know, no short fields, no short fields against inferior opponents, right? Mm. One short field against Vanderbilt, no short fields against USF or FAU, and certainly no short fields against Alabama. Or and when uh, you've had, and when you had.
1: And when you've had the very few that you've had, you haven't been able to capitalize on. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, that was actually the biggest play of the Kentucky game, right? I mean, you get, right. you get the intercept, you're up 10, 10 7, you get the interception, yep. they return Travez Johnson, gets the interception, gets returned to the 10 yard line. They get a stupid penalty on a crackback block by Valentino, sets him back at like the 40. They gain like seven or eight yards, settle for the field goal. The field goal is blocked, it gets returned the other direction. Right. I mean, the idea that a that a 27 yard field goal would have been blocked in there and returned, I think, is relatively minor. The reason got blocked is because they were so far back that Chrisman had to kick it a little bit lower. Um... You know, yeah, that's the reality, man. Like those things make a difference. Those little 15 yard penalties, the discipline plays, you get the interception and you have the ability to punch it in, go up 17, seven on, on Kentucky and sort of take the crowd out of it. And all of a sudden the false starts go away because it's quiet. And instead, you know, seven or eight more false starts later, Florida was struggling <laughs> to get in the end zone there at the end of the game. And, and those little things absolutely play a role and we've seen it all year long.
1: I did like what Mullen did say about Richardson a bit. You know, uh, he he didn't give any credit to Richardson's aggressiveness. And I think we know that is there. Uh, but he did say, you know, defenses load up the line of scrimmage. They blitz a little bit more when he's in there. We definitely really noticed that versus Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Those teams, you know, blitz, especially Vanderbilt, blitzed Richardson uh, a good bit there. I'll, I'm interested to see how Georgia uh, attacks that. They they do blitz. They blitz from multiple angles. You know, Mullen did bring that up today. They don't necessarily have to blitz a lot, and you got that defensive front. You don't have to. Uh, so teams have done that to Richardson. I am interested to see how Georgia – uh, attacks Richardson. Do they bring pressure, make him make fast decisions? With that heat map you brought up, you know, I hope they do blitz and there's some one-on-one coverage on the outside and he has time to escape the pocket or just, you know, maybe chuck it up and see if your receiver can make a play uh their one-on-one coverage on the outside so yeah i'm I'm interested to see how if he's going to be quarterback a whole lot how georgia uh, attacks him i'm not so sure even richardson's going to be able to hit much in the quarterback running game but if he can hit some of those deep throws early he may open up some more uh, for that running ability
0: yeah absolutely i I mean look i know what i would do if i was a defensive coordinator i'd play too deep And I would Mm -hmm. disguise it every once in a while, but stay in too deep. And then right at the last second, switch into single high every once in a while when I wanted to blitz. But for the most part, I play too deep and I make him kill me with short underneath, you know, intermediate throws. And I think that over the course of the game, you're going to get a couple of inaccurate balls and have the opportunity to get a pick. And that's all you're going to need. If you're Georgia, you get a couple of turnovers. If you're Georgia, and that's going to be enough, I think to probably turn the, turn the, uh, turn the game in their direction. Um, I think Blitzingham's the wrong move, to be honest with you. I think you mm-hmm. might get to him quickly. You might get a couple of big plays. You, but you saw the plays that caused Richardson problems against LSU was when Ojolari beat Garage. Yeah. And was in his face, even though it was a front four, right? Like they were. That's what's gonna worry me. Yep. And and that's gonna be the thing is if the offensive line for Florida can't hold up against the front four for Georgia and they don't have to blitz, they're gonna be able to sit back in zones. And you know, that that will be the telling point. If if Georgia sits back in zones and Richardson's able to pull them apart or pick them apart and move Florida, even if Florida doesn't win the game, if he's able to move them down the field consistently, pick apart zones then we got something really special because a guy who can take that Georgia team where those windows are going to be really small, find the right guy to go to against the zone based on the scheme that Florida has, the Florida's running out there, I think says something about his abilities When the defense sits in single high and you know you've got man-to-man in a lot of different places, it's really relatively easy to know where to go with the ball. And that's kind of what we saw against LSU is they played a pretty vanilla defense, didn't do a lot of stuff post-snap, didn't really do a whole lot in terms of blitzing him. When they got to him, he was uncomfortable, sometimes was able to throw the ball away, sometimes threw it up. Um, But when they gave him time, obviously he was able to find the guys that, that he needed to to get the job done. I think we're going to see some of the same thing. I think if Florida can give him time, he's going to have he's going to have some big plays. He's going to hit some guys. I think he'll also probably you know, he threw a worm burner on one point. It was like a little uh little curl, I think, for Copeland, yeah. maybe 20, 20 or twenty-five yards downfield, and the ball went like fifteen yards and sort of just <laughs> skipped out to the receiver. We've seen that a couple of times with him. So certainly that that is a possibility. Um, and that that I think is what George is gonna rely on. They're gonna probably my guess is they'll play a lot of zone, dare him to throw into tight spaces and see whether he can do it.
1: Well, a little bit of breaking news. Of course, we don't talk much recruiting during the season, but we kind of have to. Four-star cornerback Julian Humphrey decommits from Florida uh, tonight. He was the (laughs) highest-rated the highest-rated commit in the class after highest-rated commit last week, Shamar James uh, decommitted from Florida. So now, cornerback looking. This one kind of had been brewing for a little while anyway. Uh, All those visits, of course, uh, during the fall. Uh, but Julian Humphrey does commit, decommit from the University of Florida's 2022 class now, so big hit for the Gators. He was the 94th-ranked player in the country, the 12th-ranked quarterback in the country, uh, and now decommits from Florida, so oof, ouch. Uh, but here's the thing, Will. Um, I think we know more than likely there's going to be a defensive coordinator change at the University of Florida, so this is the other side of that that's going to come with it. Uh, put it this way. And I and I said it last week with 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 um with James decommitting. Uh Shamar James. There's two ways to look at it. Either the defensive coordinator is not going to be here. The, the defensive coordinator or and or position coach they committed to is not going to be here. So you're gonna that's gonna lead to decommits. Or what this defense has been putting out on film, do defenders want to play for that defense? So well, really no surprise uh, defensive commits are going to start decommitting from the University of Florida, especially with all the, all the rumors out there of, uh, of Grantham and his last season and not being uh, defensive coordinator next year. But uh, regardless, still hurts when two of your top commits in back-to-back weeks are no longer part of your class.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so this is the only time anyone will ever hear me say this, but I don't think this 2022 recruiting class from a defensive standpoint especially matters all that much. I think yeah. we're going to know about the 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 reality is the recruiting that the new defensive coordinator is going to need to do is going to be making sure Gravon Dexter is still on the team, making sure Rashard Torrance, Avery Helm, Mordecai McDaniel, Travez Johnson, Jason Marshall, and Desmond Watson are all still on the team. Those are guys who've gotten major snaps this year. Who are then going to going to come back? You got to keep them out of the transfer portal. Same thing. You got to make sure Diabate, Cox, and Ventrell Miller all come back. And if you do that, you've got a really experienced defense to go with Anthony Richardson on the offensive side of the ball, and you have the makings of a team that can turn things around. If Those guys decide if a large portion of those guys decide to go to the transfer portal, the 2022 class wasn't going to fill those gaps, you're going to have to go to the transfer portal to replace them. And so then it'll be a question of who can that defensive coordinator bring in to sort of, you know, put the finger in the dam to make sure that the defense is able to to live up to what we expect from a year to year basis that the 2022 class is important for the 2024 defense is important for the 2025 defense, uh, but it's not important for the 2022 defense. And so um, given that, I think the defense is going to have to be much, much, much better next year, along with um, significant, um, you know, extraordinary play at the quarterback position for the staff to remain intact here. I think that the reality is, is that while I don't like seeing guys decommit, I think it's a necessary evil when you're talking about parting with a defensive coordinator and all the uncertainty right. there. And you know, the reality is this is one of the reasons I think why people one wanted to make the move last year after the season yep. and, and two wanted to make the move after the LSU loss in the middle of the bye week because at least then you're ripping off the bandaid and, and you can sell recruits on hey we're going to bring in somebody who can who can really accentuate your skills you're going to get an opportunity to play early blah, blah you know all those different things that you might use to sell your program Right now, all you can sell them is uncertainty, and so I can understand why guys who are top 100, guys who have options, would at least open up and look at those options given the uncertainty that they have in terms of who their coaches are going to be, and not just the defensive coordinator, right? Because a new defensive coordinator is likely going to want to bring in staff members that he's familiar with and those sorts of things. Correct. And so, you know, the the even the new guys they brought in last year, there will be some guys who hold over, I'm sure, but at the same time, um, you know, you do have to make sure that there's uncertainty on that entire side of the ball. So it's not a surprise that defensive recruits are at, or at least going to go in wait and see mode. And I'm sure these guys probably still have Florida on their radar, depending upon who gets hired. But, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is you, you commit to a coach, you don't usually commit to a program. And so if these guys committed to Grantham, it's not a surprise. Um, given the vitriol that the fan base has for him and the likelihood that he's out after this year, that some of those guys would decide to, to go somewhere else, go somewhere else. Yep. All right.
1: So there we go. Humphrey decommitting uh, from Florida. And yeah, well, you, know <laughs> getting the nail on the head. That is kind of going back to why well, I wanted the move to be made after 2020 season and maybe a little more look ahead to 2022 and getting that new defensive coordinator and, 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 and recruiting going um, for, you know, 20, 2021 season where you take, take your bumps and bruises there uh, in 2021 and set up for a big 2022, but we're faced with a different reality. And that reality right now is losing two, two of your biggest commits in back-to-back weeks here. So, all right, Will, let's get to uh, your latest article. i uh, been shared around social media uh, a, a good bit today that you released. And, look, we just showed you numbers uh, or, you know, ha- how they add up to the quarterback position and how it should signal a change at that position. But sometimes numbers and analytics can be deceiving, not tell the entire story. And, Will, your latest article you show with some metrics out there that Florida should be a better team than the 4-3 and record indicates, of course that's not the case. This kind of goes back to last week in our episode on the issue of Florida football right now. There are a few things adding up to why Florida's 4-3. and And going back to the message of last week, you know, there are issues that show up this season in areas where Dan Mullen and the Gators, they used to be able to hang their hat on, not so much this year. And you blew me away with the baseball analogy over the weekend, and you, I'm glad you included it in the article, man. But that was, that was good in how things break out and just sheer luck sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, so there's a concept in baseball analytics, it's called base runs. And the idea is, is that if a team comes up and gets a walk, a single, and then a home run, they score three runs, right? Pretty straightforward. But if you adjust the order in which they do those things, so they get a home run, a walk and a single, then they only score one run. And, you know, obviously there's any sort of permutation you can have of those sorts of things. And over the course of 162 games, those things start to even out. And but it turns out if you actually look this year, there's a good example. The San Francisco Giants won like 107 games and should have, based on base runs, only won 103. And the point is is that they outperformed their expectations by having timely hits. And this happens in football too. The difference is in football in the NFL, you've only got 16 or now 17 regular season games. And in college, you only have 12 regular season games and then a bowl game to look at. And so if you get unlucky or if the sequence doesn't hit right over the course of a year, you can have a year where you're a better team than what your record indicates, especially if you end up in close games. Now, all of this comes with a caveat, which is, That, you know, you and I have been very consistent (laughs) where we have, where we have um, very much made it clear that we don't think that Dan Mullen is recruiting at a high enough level in order to have Florida compete with the Alabamas and Georgias of the world consistently, right? At the same time, they... When he's been incredibly unlucky in one score games, both this year and last year. And so the eight and four record last year really is an underperformance of what all the statistical metrics, all the analytics, the SP the SP plus, the FEI, the FPI, the, you know, any, any of the different metrics that are out there measuring teams have all had Mullins teams in the seven to 11 range in all of those metrics in terms of being a top 10 program. And I think that's important to take into account because when you look at the program under Will Muschamp, or you look at the program under Jim McElwain, that's not where the program was. So the program in 2015, the Gators were 29th in FPI. They went five and one in one score games. Um, so you know the ten and four record they had that year could have easily been seven and five. Um, you know they beat Vanderbilt nine to seven, Florida Atlantic twenty to fourteen, East Carolina thirty one to twenty four. And this Florida team would take care of Vandy, FAU, and East Carolina. In fact, already took care of Vandy and FAU in much more impressive fashion than that team happened to. And because they didn't have Alabama in the regular season, because the East was down, that team goes ten and four, but had to do it with an awful lot of luck. Same thing in 2016, they were 22nd in the FPI, but they were 2-0 in one score games, beat Vanderbilt 13-6 to and then beat LSU 16-10 to um, on that goal line stop where they stopped Darius Geis, you know, the hurricane relocation game and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But, you know, what if they don't stop Geis and they lose that game? That season feels a lot different. And so – you know, the Gators in 2018, they were 11th in the FPI, uh, but they did win a bunch of close games. They were 3-0 and in those games. They were 3-1 and in one-score games in 2019. They were 9th in the FPI. Last year, they were 11th in the FPI, but they went 0-3 in one-score games. And now this year, the Gators are ranked 7th in the FPI. And really, if you look at any of the advanced analytics, that's kind of where they are. They're somewhere in that 7-11 to range. But again, they're 0-3 in one-score games, Alabama, Kentucky, and LSU. And so what that suggests is that they're better than their record. In fact, I went collegefootballdata.com has a really cool feature where you can look and see. It's called, um, it's called post-game win expectancies. And basically it mm-hmm. says if the game was played again and you got these exact same stats, how likely is it that Florida would win the game or that you know the team would win the game? And in the Alabama game, 91% of the time, Florida wins that game. The Kentucky game, sixty percent of the time, Florida wins that game, and the LSU only seven percent of the time Florida wins that game. So the LSU game they deserve to lose. The Kentucky game they probably win, assuming they get a tackle on the blocked field goal, and then Alabama is a game they probably should have won based on the metrics in that game. Um, and in fact, if they don't miss the extra point, then probably they do at least get that game into overtime. So I know four and three sound. I know four and three feels bad. I know no one's happy with it. I know it's not good enough, and. One of the ways you avoid getting in those one-score games is by having so much more talent than your opposition that you don't get in them a lot. So the fact that mm-hmm. I keep saying Florida went three and zero, three and one, zero and three, zero and three means they were playing in three one-score games every year. Alabama only gets in one or two of those every year, and you saw it this year—they got bit, right? They got into a one-score game with Texas A&M, a bunch of kind of fluky turnovers, things weren't going their way, and A&M was able to put them away. And part of that is I think Alabama is not as good as they were last year. But part of it is, is they don't get in one-score games very often. And so even if most of the time one-score games end up as 50-50 propositions, and even if Alabama gets in, say, two of them, they're still going to go one and one And if you're the Alabama Crimson Tide, you go one and one in one-score games, beat everybody else, you're still in the playoff. So um, you know, there, there is a recruiting component to this where that helps avoid get in there. But the underlying statistics, and I think this is the important part, I've been asked a lot by a lot of different people You know, is it time to make a change from Dan Mullen? And I think what the underlying statistics suggest is that he's going to struggle to be consistently competitive with Georgia, consistently competitive with Alabama. He's going to have to hit on an elite quarterback. But we might have that, right? And so to make a change in the middle, just because he's being a little bit stubborn and not playing that guy in the year where you're already four and three does not preclude him from playing the guy next year. In a season when the defense has a bunch of people coming back, you have a top 10 team anyway, based on all the underlying analytics, and you would expect to bounce back and you would expect the ability to sort of with better quarterback play to avoid more of those one score games and potentially play those at 500 as opposed to going 0 and 3, which would make this season feel a lot better. So. You know, it's one of those things where, look, I get it. Four and three is frustrating. But you can point to a play or two in each of the losses. You know, I pointed out in the article the interception that was dropped by Brenton Cox against Alabama. There was an interception dropped by Jeremiah Moon. And then the penalty we already talked about on the interception by Travez Johnson against Kentucky. If those three things had gone Florida's way instead of against Florida, I think they went all three of those games. Obviously that didn't happen. The the lack of timeouts at the end of the game against – or at the end of the first half against Kentucky certainly cost Florida. Some of the conservative nature of that game plan against Kentucky cost Florida. Those are all things that need to improve and need to get better. The fact that the defense has looked like it's sort of teetering on the edge all year, even though some of the underlying statistics look okay, some of that is because of the level of competition, and and some of that is because, quite honestly, the other teams have been doing them a favor. If you think about Vanderbilt, should have probably had 13 points – In that first half, but they missed a couple of field goals and then were, you know, had the fourth down conversion that I thought was a catch that they overturned there down the goal line at the end of the half. So it's not perfect by any means. I'm not sitting here saying that the program is set to take off, but I am saying that the reality is, is that the people who are getting upset about recruiting now are four years late to the party (laughs) that that people, if you were okay with the recruiting in 18, 19 and 20 and 21 to now get upset about the recruiting in 22, because this particular season didn't go Florida's way to me is a little bit unfair. Like if you looked at it and said, you know, we've been pretty consistent about this, right? That the recruiting is going to necessitate a transcendent quarterback and elite quarterback play. And now Dan Mullen has potentially a guy who can be that guy. And I think you have to give him next year at least to prove that he either is or isn't. And if he's not, then I'm going to be one of the people who says, okay, you got to bring in somebody who can recruit better. Um, But if you bring in a defensive coordinator who can shore up that side of the ball, if Anthony Richardson turns out to be special, well, now you've got a situation like Auburn in 2010 or even LSU in 2019, where the year before those teams weren't great. They were inconsistent. They were difficult to watch. I remember watching LSU play UCF in the Fiesta Bowl, the year before burrow and lsu took off and i was just sitting there going i don't know how anybody can watch lsu play they're so inconsistent <laughs> they make so many mistakes they outgained L- they outgained ucf by like 300 yards in that game I, this is just my memory so maybe that's wrong yeah. but they outgained they outgained them by a ton there was no reason ucf should be in that game and every time you looked up it was just like a touchdown or a 10 point deficit for ucf you're like how are they not putting their foot on their throat and it was really really frustrating and then the next year, nobody could stop them. And the reason nobody could stop them is because Jamar Chase took a step forward. Justin Jefferson took a step forward. Joe Burrow took about seven steps forward. And at the end of the day, they had that elite quarterback with recruiting that was worse than Alabama, to be honest, that was worse than Georgia, but they beat Georgia and they beat Alabama because they had that quarterback play. And I think it's worthwhile giving Mullen the opportunity to to do that next year as well. Good stuff
1: there, Will. Good stuff. Uh, good summary there of uh, what Will put up there. So good Readreaction.com, read it, take it in. A lot, of, a lot of stuff there. Will has images and then video there uh, to go along with it to show those examples a bit better as well. So, good stuff. we I was looking forward to that one once you uh, you, you threw out the preview uh, to me over the weekend. So, good stuff there. Uh, different ways to look at it, of course. Uh, as Florida sits at four and three, heading in to the big game versus number one Georgia. Uh, Will, ne- uh, just a couple minutes more. What's your, what's your key to the game, man? Uh, you know, not, not to give away your preview. You know, if, there's, if there's one key, you know, not your main key, but if there's one thing you want to put out there, Florida, Georgia, this Saturday.
0: Uh, quarterback run game, I think, is probably on the offensive side for Florida. Um, the offense for Florida has pretty much gone as the quarterback run game has gone. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that opened up when Anthony Richardson came in against LSU, part of it because he's going downfield, but he also had an explosive run, a couple other runs where he was able to convert first downs where he needed like five or six yards sort of put down his shoulder and and got those. I think that quarterback run game is going to be a big deal because there are going to be times where you got to methodically move your way down the field. Not everything's going to be explosive against Georgia. And so you're going to have to give the defense a blow. And I think that'll be a big, A big part of it On the the defensive side of the ball for Florida I think the big thing is, is that the front four Has to come to play Um, You know, I I think the front four didn't get any real penetration against LSU Um, because they didn't get any penetration. Then it meant that the linebackers were were isolated on those pulling guards coming around with the with the counter. I suspect that Georgia will run the counter three or four times there in the first couple of drives (laughs) to make sure that Grantham has it fixed. He said today they worked on it. He said they've got it fixed. Um, But I suspect Georgia will try to uh, to make that a point of emphasis early on, sort of like Florida did with the wheel route last year. And that's maybe the other thing is I do wonder whether Dan Mullen has something in store from a schematic perspective. He certainly did for Alabama. So if you think about what he did for Alabama, he freed up tight ends with sort of delayed. It was almost screen passes. Mm -hmm. It's not, not exactly what it was, but he had delayed releases for the tight ends. And then it was a very short throw for Emory Jones, very easy throw for Emory Jones. And if it wasn't there, he just ran. And so the first drive where Florida went down for a field goal, the tight ends were involved. We haven't really seen them involved since then. Uh, that doesn't mean that that will be the wrinkle that that Florida pulls into place. But I do suspect Dan Mullen's going to have a couple of wrinkles that he thinks he's going to be able to isolate some of Florida, some of Georgia's players on. Um, I think though it's going to be Copeland, and I think they're going to try to isolate him. I think they are going to be some jump balls, and um, you know we'll see. I hope hope. Hope Jacob Copeland, Copeland could go up and get them because I think there's going to be some opportunities, right? We They're going to give some one-on-one coverage on the outside. They have all year, and uh, ford has got to take advantage of it. Yeah, threw up the numbers earlier in the episode. You see what happens when
1: Copeland and Richardson hook up downfield. So uh, it, it has been there, uh, more so with Richardson to Copeland, more so than Jones to Copeland. Uh, well, I'm the, uh, I'm looking at there, and it is funny that you bring that up, the, the wrinkle uh, Dan Mullen will probably have for this game, but you and I did – Joke, but kind of minute at the same time when Richardson's driving down versus LSU. It was like, oh, was they may be saving this for Georgia, but you got to win this game anyway. So it comes out a couple of weeks early. Uh, I can see that scenario. Now that's just something you build off of. Uh, with, with Richardson hopefully taking over at quarterback.
0: Well, one thing I think you will want to look for is that Florida. You know, I mentioned the tight ends, but what Florida's done the last couple of weeks is they've used the quarterback run to open up the running backs coming across the middle. Mm. And I said earlier that if I was George, I'd play a lot of cover two and I play a lot of zone. Well, one way to defeat that is to send somebody right down the seam. And Florida hasn't really sent their tight ends down the seam, but they've sent the running backs down the seam. So that might, you know, last year the running backs terrorized George on the outside where they sort of picked the linebacker and then had him come around the outside for the wheel. I do wonder what I actually think they might do this year is have the running backs go down the center and then maybe have the tight ends wheel out. And then there will be sort of a two-man route, and you'll have the opportunity to either hit the guy going down the seam, or if they close down the seam, you'll have the opportunity to hit the tight end on the outside. They kind of did that on the touchdown pass to Kamori Gamble last year, when uh, mm. right after Kyle Pitts went out on the hit by sign, um, you know they hit Gamble for a touchdown going down the sideline. That's kind of what I'm envisioning: is you have Gamble be the one who runs that wheel, and then put the put the running back down the center of the field.
1: Good stuff. Well, looking forward to the game. We'll see. You know, Florida hopefully up for the challenge versus that defense versus that number one team uh, in the country. We'll be sitting there uh, watching it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> ho- hopefully, hopefully coming out with some kind of, some kind of victory there. We'll take it in, the, in whichever way possible, but uh,
0: you know, I mean, I will it, say it, it, it,
1: I, it is a chance. It is a chance to you know take on the number one team and you know go, go
0: play the game, go play the game. Uh, I'd say based on the analytics and again, Analytics aren't everything. you get still got to go out and win, but based on the analytics, Florida's the best team that Georgia's faced. Think Clemson is close. Clemson and Florida are both ranked pretty closely in terms of the overall analytics. Clemson has a much better defense, though, than offense. Florida has a better offense than defense. And If you told me which one's going to give Georgia more trouble, I would say it would be the team that has a little bit worse defense in Florida. Unfortunately, I'm not sure Florida's defense is a little bit worse than Clemson's. I think they're significantly (laughs) worse than Clemson's, but the offense should be able to move the ball or, or if Florida can't move the ball against Georgia, then we got to start like retiring the 1980 jokes because, (laughs) because I mean, you know, here's the reality is that Florida is probably the best offense. They're going to see this year. I think Florida's offense is better than, than Alabama's overall. I think the stats kind of, kind of bear that out. They're close, but I think they're, I think Florida's offense is a little bit better especially if anthony richardson's a quarterback i think florida's offense is better if they can't move the ball i think that says a lot about georgia and so we're gonna find something out right i mean i i don't think this is a walk this is not this is not georgia playing south carolina this is not georgia playing vanderbilt i fully expect florida to be be juiced for this game be ready to go out it's a rivalry game certainly got half the stadium in each color and uh you know, you go out and you play for pride in this one. I'm not sure going out to Baton Rouge for 11 a.m. start necessarily got the juices going, but 3:30 on uh, you know the day before the day before Halloween, that is the game that if you're an 18 or 19 or 20 year old kid and you went to Florida, you've been watching that game for years and you know what that rivalry means. And so hopefully that's sort of what the team has coming out there.
1: Yeah, should be should be no shortage for motivation. Kind of going to your point, Will, number one team in the country the team wearing red and black that you can't stand <laughs> and you know your rival i mean there's no shortage of no shortage of more motiv- no shortage of motivation here uh for the gators in this one so gotta go play gotta go gotta go play that game uh will and everybody everybody go check out will this week Read reaction for his georgia preview uh on youtube as well you can find him on twitter at will miles sec anything else man
0: Nah, man just Enjoying the season at this point, it's sort of playing out the string a little bit, but uh, you know, there's a lot to learn, you know what I mean? Like, this is one of those things where I think um, you learn a lot about a team, you learn a lot about the players when they don't have a ton to play for. And if they can go out and put up big fights and make this a, you know, let's say you lose a close game to Georgia and then go out and you dominate the rest of the year. I think that says something about the team. If you go out and you get waxed by Georgia and then everything's sort of, you know, precarious the rest of the year, even if you pull them out. I think that says something, too. So, um, you know, this is, um, you know, the lack of bowl practices before the Cotton Bowl last year, I think, sort of made that maybe not taking that one seriously a little bit uh, excusable. I didn't like it. The fans didn't like it, but it was a little bit excusable. I think this year now you've got five, six, seven games where it's an audition, and, uh, you know, hopefully Mullen and staff and, and everybody out there remembers that what they're putting on film is going to is gonna be important for the evaluations next year and that they put some good good tape on film, especially against Georgia, because we all know how much Gator Dave hates the Bulldogs. <laughs>
1: it can't even be quantified will can't even be quantified shout out to all the georgia fans watching too in the chat hate hate views count too so uh, all, <laughs> all, all good there all good there so all right that is will miles you can find him at reading reaction and on twitter at will miles sec i'm the host of gators breakdown david waters you can find me on twitter at gator dave underscore sec guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown